My name is Tim. Welcome. Uh, so we are we're doing a teaching series right now <clears throat> called Life on Mission. We uh, this is the second to last week. Next week we'll be wrapping it up. And the idea is uh, uh, we believe that uh, God the Father is on mission in this world. He expresses it through His Son um, Jesus of Nazareth and continues on mission through His Spirit uh, even today, seeking people out that they would be they would know Him and know His love and. Uh, we believe that he's doing that through his people still. And so we've been talking about what does it mean for us to be intentional and invitational with sharing God's love? What, is it, what does it mean for us to, to think like missionaries and pray like missionaries and act like missionaries? And so that's what we're talking about today. I want to just give you a heads up, though, what's coming next. Uh, so next week we're going to finish it up. And then November 30th, the first Sunday after Thanksgiving, kind of through Christmas, even into the new year a little bit, we're going to be doing a series, Who is Jesus? And essentially the, the idea is this, is that we want to, during kind of this, this um, Christmas season, we want to be doing, uh, have our Sunday mornings, our teachings be uh, especially accessible to our friends who might not be familiar with Jesus. So this fall, we'll have talked all about um, life on mission. What does it mean to join God in mission in this world? In- inviting people um, into, into um, knowing God's love. And then, so then we thought, well, we'll follow that up as, as a way of practicing this together. Have um, uh, December be a time where we really, we really aim at being accessible. Being accessible for people who might not know Jesus. And so really want it to be a, a, a place that's safe to invite friends, coworkers, neighbors, family members to. Um, and that, so that's coming. You'll see signs up about it. If you want something to like hand to people, if that's helpful, we have postcards telling about it out of the info table. You can grab those after the service. But just want to give you a heads up. That's coming uh, uh, after Thanksgiving. So this morning, I want to start with uh, show and tell. This is my fantasy football team. The Fighting Staffords, we are. Uh, Matt Stafford, my quarterback, he's on the bench right now. Ben Roethlisberger, he's been really hot lately, so he's, he's starting. Jamal Charles, Aaron Foster, Brandon Marshall, pretty good team. Um, we're third in the league right now, but I feel like we got a chance to win it. Um, we're doing all right. Fantasy football, if you don't know, uh, it's, it's this imaginary sport uh, where you, you pick football players for your team. Other people don't get them. They're on your team. And then any given week, how they do in the NFL, um, if they have a good week, you get points for how well they do, how many yards or touchdowns or whatnot. And then your points kind of get collected and you go up against other people in your league. And that's, and that, you know, you win or lose depending on how well your guys do. And um, so I've been, I've done fantasy football for a number of years now and I've learned a few things about fantasy football that I'm pretty sure about. One, I'm sure that you can, you can be decent at fantasy football without ever watching any real football games. Uh, I don't, I don't, yeah, I, you, there's people on the webs, on, online who give like advice and stuff. Just follow them and do what they say and your team will be pretty good. So I learned that. Two, I've learned that I have a somewhat addictive and highly competitive personality when it comes to games. And so I just, I can't let go. If, I, if I'm not winning, it's I just pour over. Well, what about this? What about so, and then three, I've learned that no one other than me really cares about my fantasy football team. And uh, no, I, don't, no, I know people care about me. You don't need to feel sorry for me. I know people like me. But when it comes to my team, um, there's not, no one really, they don't, you know, what, people, I talk about my team, eyes glaze over, you know, and so I'm, you know, if I, if I, if I'm talking with somebody, well, Arian Foster, you know, he's got history of leg injuries, and so I don't know if I should carry his backup or go after another high upside, uh, free agent instead, and then, and see, even now you're glazing over, I know, right, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, no one, and, uh, so, over the years, I've taken to, when I meet somebody who plays fantasy, I, I, 
I want to ask them about their team because I know no one else is. And then I also hope maybe I'll get to talk about my team in return. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's kind of its own little world, right? You're trying to make these decisions. You got these worries and these hopes and you hope to win. But it's kind of you're in it by yourself. And I think sometimes other parts of our life can feel that way as well. I think there are times that, that we'll have these, these decisions we have to make or these concerns on our heart or these hopes for the future. And, and it feels like we're in it on our own. That we're, no one else owns it. No one else is wrestling with it. No one else is as concerned about it as we are. That at times that parts of our life or even a lot of our life can feel like our own fantasy football team. That, no, no, that we really, this is really important to us, but that no one else quite is as concern. I wonder, even this morning, what's your fantasy football team? What's that part of your life that you, your mind is on quite a bit? You're thinking about, you're worrying about, you're trying to decide about, but no one else is as invested as you are. And have you ever had this experience when someone does step into that and take it as seriously as you do? That time when maybe you've got, maybe you've got this thing and, and you've been in it on your own, um, but somebody starts asking about it and they really want to know about it. Why are you so excited about this? I want, and they're excited with you. And what's the decision? Oh, yeah, that is a hard decision. I need to, let's, and maybe they, they wrestle with it or maybe, oh, you're concerned about, I can see why you're worried about that. And maybe, have you ever had a time where somebody really enters into your world and takes it as serious as you do? I mean, how does that, how, how good does that feel? Doesn't that communicate something to you when people do that? They take a real interest in those things that you're interested in, that you're concerned about? I believe that when we look at the life of Jesus of Nazareth, what we'll see is that Jesus does this all the time. That he meets people and he wants to enter into their world and take it as serious as they do. He wants to find out what they're passionate about, what they're hurt by, what the mistakes they've made, what are the decisions they have to make, what are the the concerns they're carrying. He wants to see it through their eyes, enter into their world, and take it as serious as they do to care for them. We see this all the time. I want to look at this morning at one particular instance of this. We're going to to be looking at this morning a story from the book of Luke. If you want to follow along, we're uh, we're going to be staying in Luke 19. Uh, Luke is way to the right in your Bible. It's after the book of Mark, and it's before the book of John, if you'd like to follow along. And uh, this is one of these instances where Jesus, um, Jesus encounters a person, and really he seeks to enter into their world, take it as serious as they do to express his heart for them, his, his, his care for them, his mission towards them. And what, I want, and what I want us to be thinking about this morning is this. You know, we're in this series of life on mission, acting like a missionary. I want us to watch Jesus, watch what he does, and consider how might he still be wanting to do the same thing today through us, through you. So that's where we're headed, but let's uh, let's go now to Luke 19 and and observe uh, this account of Jesus. So, Luke 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So, Jericho uh, 
It's, it's to the south in the nation of Israel. You see it there circling red. Jesus has been on this long journey from the north of the country, Caesarea Philippi. He's walked basically the length of the country, a long journey, and he's headed towards Jerusalem um, for the final time. He's going there for the, Paso- uh, the festival of Passover, and it's going to be the, this is the time that he's going to be arrested and executed. So he's headed towards the last week of his life, and he knows this is coming because he's been telling people about it. He knows that this is going to end um, in his death. And so he's, he's walking there, and Jericho, um, here, can we go to the next slide? Jericho's an oasis. Jesus has been walking through the, de- the desert. Jericho's this oasis. It's 15 miles east of Jerusalem. Um, it's about 3,400 vertical feet lower than Jerusalem. And so it's kind of the last stop, this oasis stop that you'd make before you make your final push up to Jerusalem. So it would be a normal place to spend the night, have a meal, at, and we see something like that happen here. So verse 2, continuing on. A man was there in Jericho. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So uh, Israel in this time, it's controlled by, it's occupied by the Roman Empire, this foreign power. And uh, the Roman Empire, they, when, when they controlled different nations, they wanted to collect taxes, make money off the places they controlled. And so what they would do is in any given city, people could bid on the right, purchase the right to collect taxes. So Zacchaeus has bid, he's purchased the right to collect taxes for Jericho, but Jericho's too big for it to do it himself. So Zacchaeus, he's got like a pyramid scheme underneath him where all these other tax collectors work for Zacchaeus. They collect taxes from the people, and then Zacchaeus gets it. Zacchaeus ex- skims off the top. Um, um, and then sends what he's supposed to send on to Rome. But Zacchaeus, he's, he's profiting off of these, this enemy power occupying the country. I mean, imagine how the people would see this. Imagine, you know, for example, you're in, uh, you're in France in World War II, occupied by Nazi Germany. And imagine if there's a local bureaucrat in your French city who has decided to work with the Germans, and this person collects taxes from his countrymen, the other Frenchmen, and then he skims off the top and sends what he's supposed to send along to Germany. He's getting rich working with the enemy. So when you read through the New Testament, it'll say things like, it'll have this phrase, Jesus spent time with tax collectors and sinners. It's kind of like the tax collectors, they're too bad to be lumped in with the sinners. They need their own category. (laughs) And he was wealthy. Uh, Oh yeah, wealthy. And that's because uh, a few things, Jericho was a border town, lots of money moving in and out of there. They grew um, rare spices, balsam. And um, so there's there's money moving out. That's some of the reasons why he would have made so much money there. Uh, Yeah, so verse three, let's look what happens next. So Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So Zacchaeus, he's a little vertically challenged. And... uh, and there, there's this, Jesus, he's kind of like the first beetle. There's the people, Jesus, there's people, this crowd following him around. People are pumped to be around him. But Zacchaeus can't go see him. So he's like, I want to see this guy. What am I going to do? And so uh, verse 4, so Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So now I know you're probably thinking, what does it look like when a grown man climbs a sycamore fig tree? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here we have a picture of someone up in a sycamore fig tree hiding up there. That's me, if you can't tell. Um, we, a group of us got to go to Israel last springtime, and there was a sycamore fig tree. And yeah, I could get a picture of it. So a very leafy tree, pretty easy to climb, although I almost fell out of it. Um, but uh, for Zacchaeus to do this, uh, it was not... 
Um, it was not easy in an in a Israelite robe to run or climb trees. And in fact, it was considered uh, shameful or inappropriate for a grown man to be doing these things. And so it implies that Zacchaeus was more than merely curious. He wasn't just interested. He really, there was something driving him to see this Jesus character. There's something pulling him to see this Jesus. He's up in this tree. And it's kind of a, you know, he's kind of hidden up in these leaves. And this is what happens next. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I like it. Uh, it, it you know, in the, in the, what we see is Zacchaeus thinking that he's looking for Jesus is like the, the people in the life raft afloat in the ocean thinking they're looking for the search plane. I mean, what we find out, Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus. And we see three things that happen here. Uh, we see Jesus do three things. I want to just, we're going to stay in this sentence for a little bit, this, this couple phrases um, to kind of explore. We see Jesus look at Zacchaeus. He sees him. We see Jesus say his name, and we see Jesus enter his world. He saw him, he said his name, he's entered his world. He saw him. Jesus, um, he's, uh, he, you know, imagine this. There's this crowd of people, you know, um, you know, people are loud and noisy and trying to get his attention and talk to him and, and, you know, just sweat and bodies and they're walking. And Jesus, he knows he's headed towards the last week of his life. So he's got concerns on his mind. There's this tree and you can't even see really what's going on in the tree. But in the midst of all the distractions, Jesus sees Zacchaeus. He sees him. We see, this, this occurs over and over again in the life of Jesus. He sees people really sees him. There's this account where uh, earlier on in Jesus' life, he's, he's having dinner with these religious leaders. And uh, they're Pharisees. And he's having dinner. And uh, they would have been, been dining something like this, you know, on one elbow and they're eating. And, um, and Jesus, they're dining with all these religious leaders. And this woman comes in. And, and scripture says, it, it just says she was a sinful woman. We don't know exactly what that means, but probably involves somehow in the sex trade. And she's weeping at his feet and pouring perfume on his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And, uh, and, and the, the, the religious leaders are watching this happen. And they think to themselves, doesn't he know the kind of woman who's touching his feet? And Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, it says he looked at the woman and he spoke to the religious leaders. And it's a brilliant question. He says, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Because they were looking at her, but they didn't see her. Jesus sees people. He really sees them for who they are over and over again. He, and he, he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. So first, Jesus saw Zacchaeus. He saw him. And then he called his name. Zacchaeus. There's a, there's a book that I, <clears throat> that I read recently, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. It's pretty academic, uh, but it's very good by Richard Balcom. And it, and it talks about how... Uh, 
how the gospel accounts were based off eyewitness testimony of what happened in Jesus' life and teachings, his death and resurrection. And how uh, when you see proper names like this in the gospel accounts, like Zacchaeus, his proper first name, it means most likely that that person was a living witness and that their eyewitness testimony is what was, is how this story even got into the gospel accounts. So most likely Zacchaeus was a, was a, was a part of the early Jesus community that was writing these stories down. And you can, even, you can even hear in the details, you can hear Zacchaeus' voice as he's telling Luke about it behind the story. You can imagine Zacchaeus saying, yeah, so, well, you know, Luke, I'm a little short, so, I, you know, I had to go run and find a tree, and um, it, was a, it was a sycamore fig tree. And I climb up the tree, and I'm up there. And I don't know what Jesus is looking like, but I can tell that the center of the crowd is getting closer and closer. And then this man stops, and it was like no man I've ever seen before. And he looks right up in the tree, and he looked at me, and he said my name. I'll never forget it. Yeah, he said his name. He calls his name. Our favorite word in the English language is our first name. Said his name. There's power in that. I, uh, when I was in high school, I worked, at a, I worked at a summer camp one summer. And I was a volunteer. For, well, not a whole summer, a month I was there. Uh, and there was high school students volunteering from all over the country and college students from all over the country volunteering. And I remember... There was one college guy, uh, and every time we'd pass, kind of going to and from on the paths there, he was one of the volunteers, he'd always say, he'd always say, hey, Tim, how's it going? He'd smile, hi, Tim, good to see you. I never knew his name. I didn't know how he knew my name. I don't even know exactly what he was doing there, like what his responsibilities were. Or any, but I'll tell you what, that was 20 years ago, and I still remember that that month, Every time he passed me, he said my name. There's, there's power in saying someone's name. I recognize you. I acknowledge you. Say a person's name. Jesus says Zacchaeus' name. He knows your name and he calls your name. And he still wants to call people's names through us. Jesus says his name. So first, he says his name. Uh, no, first he saw him. Second, he says his name. And then third, he entered into his world. Uh, Jesus says, he basically says, hey, uh, Zacchaeus, can I crash at your place tonight? Can I come over? And this, w- this would have been an offer, of, an offer of friendship, an offer of acceptance. Hey, Z- Zacchaeus, can I, can I have a meal with you? Can I stay at your place? Imagine, think about how far, how far Jesus had to travel to enter into Zacchaeus' home, enter into Zacchaeus' life. The Son of God on the throne in heaven, making a choice to step down and become a human baby boy, growing up, as a, growing up as a boy, learning the language, learning the culture, becoming a grown man, starting his ministry, walking all over the country, being in the north side of the country, walking by foot through the desert, eventually wandering through the city, coming to this tree and saying, there's a guy up in the tree. Hey, Zacchaeus, you want to hang out? You want to be friends? All this way to step into Zacchaeus's world, to enter into his world. Jesus, this is how he operated with people. He's so relational. Jesus doesn't just stand at a distance and, you know, uh, he, he, he enters into people's lives. When, um, when the book of Mark, when Mark's describing how Jesus called his 12 disciples, his 12 close followers, it says this. I think it's fantastic. He says he appointed 12 
that they might be with him. Not he, it, didn't, it doesn't say first and more, it doesn't say Jesus appointed 12 people to be his followers so he could tell them things. It doesn't say he appointed 12 people so that they could do things for him. He says he appointed 12 they could be with him. They could hang out. They could walk together. They could talk together. They share meals together. They share life together. Jesus wanted to enter into other people's worlds. Take it as seriously as they do. To know their passions, to know their hurts, know their decisions, know their mistakes, know their hopes. Ask about their fantasy football teams and care. That is how he operated. He still wants to enter into our world and take it as seriously as we do. And watch what happens. Watch what happens when he does this. Verse 6. It says, So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. The welcomed him gladly. It's more than just kind of a high welcome, shake a hand. Welcomed him. The word there, it means like welcomed him under his roof. Welcomed him for a meal. Hosted him. Welcomed him into his home. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. You can imagine why the people would react this way. Um, they, this guy, in their mind, is a traitor. He's working for the enemy and getting rich off their backs. And to have a meal, for Jesus to have a meal with them or stay at Zacchaeus' home, in this day and age, um, to, share, to, to share a meal with someone, it's, this, it's an offer of deep friendship, of, of intimacy, of acceptance. I mean, even today, to have a meal with someone or stay in someone's home implies friendship, but this is amplified in this culture in that time. It's this offer of friendship to Zacchaeus. And the people are saying, well, how can he do that? For Jesus to enter into someone else's world, it involves risk. For us to enter into other people's worlds will involve risk. It involves risk. Risk of being misunderstood, of judged. Risk of being uncomfortable. I don't, Jesus might have been very uncomfortable in this, in Zacchaeus' home. He's going, getting out of his comfort zone. Risk of risk of this concern that what if people think I'm approving of how he lives? Will people think I approve of his behavior if I offer friendship, if I hang out with him? There's risks involved for Jesus to enter into his world. But for Jesus, Jesus was more concerned that Zacchaeus knew him, knew Jesus, knew Jesus' love for him, Jesus was more concerned with that than what people thought or his own comfort level or even how he behaved. Because Jesus understood the real problem in Zacchaeus' life isn't Zacchaeus' behavior. The real problem that he's not in relationship with me, Jesus. And Jesus says, I want to offer my friendship that he can know me and we'll work on those other things after that. So Jesus offers this friendship, this grace to Zacchaeus, and look uh, what happens. Jesus' grace towards Zacchaeus is able to accomplish something that all the shunning of the people of Jericho was never able to see happen. It says, verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up, and it's probably when they're eating. They're eating, and now he stands up. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, 
Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. He responds, he says, yes, I want to trust you, I want to follow you, and I know that means uh, following you and even how I, I relate financially to this city. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. It's kind of, so uh, Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua, which means God saves or God's salvation and so Jesus says, today, Yeshua has come to this house. Ah, I get it. Ah, it's a pun. All right, serious. He's making a joke. Good job. LOL. So for the Son of Man, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And Son of Man is Jesus' kind of code name for himself. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And theologians would say that this sentence, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, summarizes the entire book of Luke, summarizes Jesus' mission as we see it in Luke. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And he does this by seeing people. He does this by saying their names, calling their name. He does this by entering into their world and taking it as serious as they do, even at risk to himself. If you're, uh, if you're here this morning and um, maybe, maybe you've never invited Jesus into your house, into your home, into your life. And maybe, maybe lately you've been feeling like he has been seeing you. Maybe lately you've been hearing him say your name, call out to you. Maybe you hear Jesus saying, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to come into your life. I'd like to come into your house. And maybe you've never responded to that before. If that's you this morning, you're interested in responding and what it means to respond, I'd be really interested in, in chatting with you after the worship service. So I just want to put that invitation on the table. I'm going to be, after we finish, I'll be hanging out up front. And if you're, if you're thinking, man, I'd like to respond to this, please come up and I'd love to talk to you about that. Because uh, I, um, I think that is important and beautiful when people, when people uh, invite him in. Uh, for those of us, uh, maybe you're here and you, you say, I, I trust Jesus. I've invited Jesus into, into my life, into my heart. Um, I have a few questions uh, for us. Because I believe that once, when, when, when someone trusts Jesus, when someone attaches themselves to Jesus, he places his spirit in us. The same spirit that desires to see people and say people's names and enter into people's world. And I believe that once he does that, that he is wanting to continue doing this now through you and I. So I want to ask us a few questions about what this might look like for our lives. So first question. Who, do we have this next, the first question there? Yeah. Who, who does Jesus want you to see? And as I go through these questions, I'd encourage you to, to use these to reflect on, to pray on this next week. Uh, maybe talk about in your, with your housemates or your family or your small group. But who does Jesus want you? Who are you passing by that the crowds, the noise is, is distracting you from? But maybe Jesus wants you to see. And not just look at, but notice. To really see. Who does Jesus want you to see? Who is he drawing your attention towards? Do you really notice them? Probably it's somebody that's on the edges, on the margins. That's maybe up in a tree, kind of hidden away. Who's he drawing your attention toward? Who, you, who does he want you to see? Second question. Whose name does Jesus want you to say? 
If his spirit is in you and it still wants to call people's names, whose name does he want you to know and you to say? Are there people that you regularly interact with in your life and you don't, you don't know their name or you don't say their name? What would it look like for you to, for you to do that? I mean, hearing, your, hearing a name is so powerful. It communicates, I, I recognize you, I value you, I remember you. Maybe knowing and saying someone's name might be the most important thing we do this week. Whose name does Jesus want you to say, to know? Next question. Whose world does Jesus want you to enter? Whose world does he want you to enter and take it as seriously as they do? Whose fantasy football team does he want you to ask about? To know about their passions, know about their hopes, their mistakes, the decisions they're wrestling with, the concerns that are on their heart. Whose world does he want you to enter? And the beautiful thing is, Hillcrest Chapel, I hear stories about us doing this, Jesus doing this through us all the time. One of the things I enjoy about uh, the, my, the, my position in this community is I get, to, I get to hear about all sorts of stories about Jesus doing this through people. It's a real privilege. I hear stories about, uh, what are, I hear stories about people with, with atheist neighbors who, when their son gets sick, they come to you and they say, um, I, know, I know you pray a lot. Will you pray for my son? I hear people about who who've developed friendship with Muslim women, and the women say, hey, I want, I, will you come over and meet my husband and just have dinner with us? I want to invite you into my home and, and share stories. I hear people about people who, who have uh, lesbian neighbors who don't know Jesus, and they build up this friendship, and so they get invited over for the football game. I hear people, uh, stories about um, uh, 412 leaders who, who hang out at at middle and high school sporting events. I hear stories about Corfas who make the decision, I'm going to stay living on campus so I can be where people are at. I hear stories about middle and high school students who decide that they're going to volunteer their time to be down in treasure land and get down physically into the world of a five-year-old and say, hey, what are you excited about? Can I do this? Can I color with you? I hear all these stories about people entering into other people's world, people coaching sports, um, caring about the kids, kids on the teams whose uh, family's immigration status is of dubious origin, and yet they, they care for these kids and they treat them as like surrogate kids and, and um, share life with them, all these stories about you entering into other people's worlds or Jesus in you compelling you to enter into other people's worlds, taking it as seriously as they do, that they might know him too. So who might Jesus want you to see? Whose name might Jesus want you to say? Whose world might Jesus want you to enter? And then finally, what's the risk? What's the risk? What's the fear for you? What's holding you back? Is it what other people might think? Is it that it might be uncomfortable? Is it that you're afraid you might be seen as approval on their behavior? Because for Jesus, he said, it's more important that I get into Zacchaeus' life and he knows my love, my friendship towards him than I stand back and shake my finger at him. What's the risk? Yeah. I encourage you to, to, to pray over those questions this week. I believe um, that when we, we trust Jesus, we follow him, he puts his spirit in us. The same spirit that wants to see people, wants to say their name, wants to enter into their world, despite the risk. I believe that spirit is in 
you if you follow him. And it's calling, it's leading you, and it's prompting you, and it's energizing you. And may we continue to be a people that notices others, really sees them, knows their name, knows their story, and enters into their world with them. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I, I guess I feel, um, I feel a bit like Zacchaeus this morning. Not that I feel rejected or shunned, Jesus, but that I, I just, I want to see you again. And, I, and, and as a community, may we be people that run after you to see you, see the way you're, um, to see your loving face, that we run after you to see you, to hear you calling names, see the way you search, seek people out to rescue them. Jesus, would you, uh, you show yourself again to us by your spirit, inspire us. Uh, that you would do this through us. Give, us. give us soft hearts towards the others in our life. Um, yeah, we know we can't do this on our own, but we really want to allow you to do it through us. So we open our hearts to you again. In your name, amen.